welcome to the second season of our Triune Pod. We are still preparing you to praise. Join me, the Reverend Nick Comiskey, and the Reverend Bendy Hart for a conversation about low-key theology, lived experience, and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the Psalms. We hope it's an inspiring, maybe a bit irreverent, but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some God time. Welcome to another episode of our Triune Pod. Ben, how are you? I'm good, man. I just got back from Hattiesburg, Mississippi for the first time visiting Chelsea's parents. Uh, they've always come to New York over the pandemic. And this is the first time seeing where she grew up and uh, all her stomping grounds. So that was pretty fun. Is that where Mississippi State is? It is Southern Miss is there. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, we went on the campus where Brett Favre went. I also saw Brett Favre's place of residence, which is yikes, incredibly massive. And the same day I saw that, we we heard about Brett Favre being involved with stealing from welfare. Wow. So, yeah, that? Uh, her dad did say he was like, "I bet his name is taken down off this university." Really? So we'll see. Yeah. Pretty sad. That's fair. Um, all right, man. Well, for a unrelated question, it's actually not that unrelated, but I wanted to get your opinion or not your opinion. I want to have you answer a question. Is there a piece of music, an album, a book, a movie, something that you didn't like very much earlier in your life that you've recently reappraised? I would love to say, you know, like some really cheesy artwork, like Thomas Kincaid or something like that, just to throw some real controversy on the pot. And we did growing up. My mom did have a Thomas Kincaid painting and probably loved it because it was Jesus-y. But no, nothing that wild. More like, I don't know. I think when I was younger, I didn't like HBO, like the shows or the movies. Because I thought like, oh, this is unchristian. This is like too sexual, too violent. And then like once I got over that hump, that, that I embraced it wholesale, probably a little bit too much, like an overcorrection. But I mean, yeah, also like, I mean, you got me really into 70s movies. I used to only be into like something contemporary, but. I mean, that now all I want to watch is a movie that ends with a, with a, a sad ending. On a note of nihilism. Well done, yeah, but. that's fair. But so what, you, man? what was this leading? I recently watched for the first time since 2002, when it was released in theaters, I watched John Q. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. With Denzel, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's on Netflix right now. I remember why I didn't like it when I saw it in the movie theaters, which is like, it is a very, very, very message movie. It's actually a very Christian movie. I didn't really think about that at the time, but when I was rewatching it, it's very like, it's almost like fireproof or something. But, you know, Denzel is just incredible. The plot of the movie is Denzel Washington has a son who needs a heart. He cannot afford a heart transplant. His insurance won't cover it. And so he takes an ER room hostage and demands that his son gets put on the transplant list. And Denzel was as good as I remember. The movie itself was as pedantic as I remember. <laughs> but honestly, having a kid now, I'm like, you go, John Q. I was emotionally in it in a way that when I saw it as a 17-year-old, I thought all I could see was the cheese. Whereas now I can see the cheese, but I feel caught up in it. Did you cry a little bit? 
Uh, definitely. I mean, there's a couple of points because it's Denzel, With you your know, daughter in your arms. I wish no, she wasn't asleep by that point, but you know, Denzel, it's like training day era Denzel. I mean, that's the time. So he is yeah. like at his peak power as a dramatic actor. And he is very, very, very good. The source material is not great, but the, he is very, very, very good. Well, anyway, the reason why I brought that up and the reason why I was going to talk about it is because yeah, this Psalm, Psalm 137, a complicated psalm with a very, very, very dire ending involving infants. So not yeah. completely unrelated, but Ben, why don't you, uh, actually I'll read the psalm and then you can you know, share what you think about it and we'll talk. Psalm 137, by the waters of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered you, O Zion. As for our harps, we hung them up on the trees in the midst of that land. For those who led us away captive asked us for a song. And our oppressors called for mirth, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song upon an alien soil? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember the day, O Jerusalem, O Lord, against the people of Edom, who said down with it down with it, even to the ground. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Yeah, so I think most of us only hear that final line, but let's wait to get there. Um, and this psalm has been used by artists over the millennia, the world over, but I have to say, and I wonder if you have a favorite, Nick. My favorite is Don McLean's song, Don McLean of American Pie fame. You remember it, By and By. Of course. By. He, has, he has another song? He has a song called Babylon, and it's essentially, it's this song. I mean, I don't think he has the last line, but um, I can't help but sing his song. It's By the Waters of Babylon, we went down and wept and wept and wept for these Zion. It's a really sad song. And wow, all of my like Jewish tendencies that are like dormant and innate come out. And yeah, I love it. But yeah, what's going on in Psalm 137 is the exile. Babylon has probably very recently ravaged Jerusalem and taken a portion of the populace there down to Babylon. And, and these people who are taken down to Babylon, these Jews, they are weeping because all that they've known has been destroyed. They're lamenting Zion. That's what's going on in these first four verses. And it seems that they have been asked to sing some of Zion's songs to their oppressors. It's as if the Babylonians were like bored and they're like, hey, entertain us. So they're, the captives are asking them to entertain them. And they're like, nope, we mm. hung up our harps, which a lot of commentators say is a symbol for all of their musical instruments onto the populars, onto the trees so that they could not play for their captives, for the ones who asked them to be merry and sing them a song. And then, yeah, you had this just heartbroken, how can we even sing the songs of Jerusalem? of Yahweh here in an alien land. So I think this is kind of like, I mean, I experienced a little bit of culture shock when I came down to Birmingham. Uh, so in a weird way, I could kind of like resonate with, I guess, a little portion of this, but this is like not just culture shock. This is a feeling of complete dislocation 
this is as if, you know, Russia or China destroyed the US and all that we, and then we were just kind of brought somewhere else. This would be heartbreaking. And for, for Jews, these are idolaters. These are our unclean folk. These are people who are, I don't want to say godless, but more or less that. And here they're making sport of all that we hold dear. So that's the first four verses. I'm going to get to the next two if you got nothing to add. Well, yeah, I just think the the severity with which the verse ends is uh, not meant to be explained away or not should not be explained, explained away. But I do think it is helpful to remember how totalizing the consequences of Israel being destroyed. Because on one level, yeah, it would be like if you're a New Yorker and 9-11 happens, it's like, oh my gosh, we've been, you know, destroyed. But for the nation of Israel at this time, it was all, it was, wasn't just political and cultural. It was also theological. They had destroyed the Lord's holy place. So it's, we don't have a capacity to imagine that as Western Protestant Christians, because we don't really have any sense of like sacred space, you know, like not really, but the notion that God's city, God's temple was ransacked and destroyed. And Jerusalem was in ruins that has, again, political and cultural destabilizing effects, but chief of all is this theological crisis, like the temple of God, God's dwelling place on earth has been pillaged by these pagan people and they've taken us captive and carried us away and now they're taunting us and asking us to sing worship songs. So it's, it's not meant to say, well, yeah, therefore we should kill their kids. But it means that there is a way in which it's hard, speaking personally, for me to really tap into that level of grief or anguish. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a great, great point. This is a theological emergency. Is our faith real? Is our faith that defines our identity? Is it bogus? And therefore, everything we build our lives upon, bunk. Yeah, uh, one one commentator pointed out something that I thought was powerful. It's like imagining you know African heritage people who were enslaved in the U.S. being expected to entertain their oppressors. I still don't even think that as horrible as that is gets at exactly all that you're getting at with right. this totalizing thing. But it's it's very close. Totally. So let's let's move on, and we can keep going. But in verses five and six, there's kind of a shift from this lament over dislocation mm. to this kind of, uh, we need to remember, and, and there's a, a vow being made here. If I forget you, oh, Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. How powerful is that? Let my yeah. tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set you above my highest joy. So what is what is the, what are these verses saying? If I forget you, let my right hand forget its skill. Let me let me not be able to play it. Let me not be able to do sing this song. It's also verse six, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. Not only will I not be able to play, but I won't be able to sing. I won't be able to speak. I, there's no way I am going to entertain my oppressors with the holy songs mm. of Jerusalem and our Lord. And then finally in the verse, the last, three verses, we have this, this seeming like self-curse of the fir- of verses five and six. Like, if I forget you, let this happen to me. It transitions to a curse upon the oppressors. Uh, and this is where it gets really intense. This is where vengeance, like kill bill action is going on. And two, two groups are singled out. First is Edom, this people group around Israel that in other parts of the scriptures, it makes clear that Edom was kind of cheering on the Babylonians and taking down and raising Jerusalem and the people of Israel. Uh, but mostly and foremost, it's about 
Babylon, you who destroyed everything we know and love, the temple, our identity, maybe our faith. We're putting our faith in the fact that this God who has allowed us to experience this destruction will repay you for what you've done to us. So I think before we get to the scandal of this, uh, let's remember in the Old Testament, that kind of retributive justice, the lex talionis, like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Again, still problems, but let's keep that in mind. Pay them back for what they've done to us. And in verse nine, that you know, kind of terrible verse, happy shall be the one who takes your little one and dashes them against the rock. Some commentators say the Babylonians must have dashed the babies of the Israelites against the rocks. And this is a call for retributive justice. That said, uh, I think we can take a step back here and realize that while this may seem terrible to us, it's kind of great that the God has allowed this kind of white hot emotion to be in the scriptures, something that you and I experience all the time, right? Uh, Paul's all says it so well. So often we as Christians like to pretend like we don't have hate in our hearts when we have hate in our hearts. And instead of coming to grips with it, instead of calling it what it is, we pretend it's not there. And so we repress it and we make it worse. This is a psalm of a people group who've experienced all gone to muck, all gone wrong. And here in this white hot moment, no, we're not going to sing the songs of Zion to you, to our oppressors. In fact, if anything, we will sing a song that calls you out. The song, one song we will sing is saying that uh, the Lord will judge you as well. So uh, <laughs> anything you want to say before we get into like, you know, how we might be able to kind of like as Christians use this? Yeah. I mean, I think if you read the the text carefully, I mean, it's a pronouncement of blessing on whomever contributes to Babylon's destruction. You know, it's like in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are you who hunger for righteousness for you shall be filled. This text is saying, blessed are you if you take their little ones. And, you know, so it's not even, I mean, it is a prayer, it's a Psalm. So it is of course, ultimately directed towards God, but there is a way in which this Psalm is pronouncing a blessing on whomever contributes to the downfall of Babylon. So it's even more than God, please do this. It's, it's saying the Lord will bless whoever does this, which is even harder in some respects, but. Yeah. And I think if we say we want to hear the voices of oppressed people, we may not like what we hear. I think this is what we've experienced over the past two years. Again, I don't think this is necessarily saying this being a psalm in our scriptures that the Lord is sanctifying this emotion. I mean, throughout mm. the scriptures, right? This is, I mean, Robert Alter, a famous translator of the Hebrew scriptures. I mean, he says this is morally unjustifiable. And that, that may be so, but I don't think we have to worry about that. I don't think that this psalm is necessarily saying this is a good desire. We, I mean, we see that the Roman Catholic Church, uh, parts of the Anglican Communion have taken the last three verses out of the lectionary cycle. I don't know if that's very helpful. I think yeah. it's helpful to preach about this and to say like, no, like when you read the scriptures, not all of it is saying this is what you should do. In fact, if you wanted to do that, you'd have real problems here and there. Yeah. Uh, but I do think this is where we can really look to early Christians who took the text seriously on a literal level, but then we're also had no qualms about 
in the wake of Jesus's death and resurrection, spiritualizing it. So Augustine, you know, no, no lib, right? <laughs> he says, who are the little ones of Babylon? It is evil desires at their birth. So when lust is little, by no means let it gain the strength of an evil habit, dash it against the rock. Mm. So that's one way you have of understanding this, appropriating it as Christians more than just receiving it for voices of God who are oppressed by like essentially demonic forces. But also, I mean, other people have gone really far with this. And, you know, hey, this I'm going to run with this too, that, you know, the rock is Christ. If these things are being dashed on the rock that is Christ, ultimately somehow that becomes good news. I know you can say, oh, you're just trying to put a positive spin on this, but other Christians have done it before me. So there we go. What, what, what else you got? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think there is one way to think about what this Psalm is doing in the scriptures. And there is, there's a dark side to what I'm about to say, but um, is sometimes you speak violence, not to be violent, right? So there's a way in which you could, you could argue, or one perspective you could have is this is the Psalmist vocalizing and you know, verticalizing his white hot anger. And that could be an outlet so that that anger does not actually express itself in real time. So is there a way in which you can pray and give voice to your sadness and disappointment and anger? And and that might free you a little bit, like kind of what you're saying earlier about repression and hatred. I mean, the problem with that, of course, is that oftentimes words shape worlds and the way that you talk about people tends to treat, you know, how you act them. So I, but I think there's something to that. There's something about vocalizing your anger in prayer and helping it lose a little bit of power over you. But yeah, I mean, the two folks that I read um, who took this in a way, very similar to Augustine. One of them is Origen. And he talked about the little ones being troublesome spiritual thoughts to be rooted out of our minds. So as a believer in Jesus, how do you pray this kind of psalm? You spiritualize, admittedly, the little ones into being these little voices that are consistently causing you to deviate from what God wants for you. C.S. Lewis describes the little ones as a whiny voice in us that seeks recognition, begrudges its withholding, and envies extension of recognition to those we deem unworthy of it. And he says, we should be ruthless to the vices of entitlement and resentment. And to quote C.S. Lewis, we should knock the little bastard's brains out. <laughs> and he, yeah, again, he's obviously spiritualizing this and he's saying, well, how do we as believers pray this text in the year of our Lord, 2022, it's like, well, don't try and pray it like they prayed it back then. Pray it as you would in our time and place and, and think about these little ones as that little inner child that just craves attention and entitlement and doesn't share and doesn't want to admire others. And you say, yeah, that, that little voice needs to be extinguished. Yeah. And it sounds like what they're saying is cut it off while it's little, cut it off at the root. Mm. Because if you don't, then it's going to grow into this massive tree and you're going to be jaded or beyond repair. And, yeah. and I hear that. And I think that's very valid. But I mean, first and foremost, this has got to be God cutting this off at the root because I just have shown time and time again that I will let that little. Oh, of course. But that's grow. why that's why it's a prayer. You know, yeah. That's, yeah, that's why it's a prayer. I also think as Christian readers, 
I think we have to reckon with the fact that God became an infant and God in Jesus Christ was crushed by his enemies and God in the very moment of being crushed extended forgiveness and prayed for their forgiveness. So as believers who reckon God's son, Jesus, as he who was crushed by his oppressors, I think we should never <laughs> wish, yeah. I mean, this is going to sound obvious and like virtue signaling, but just to state it, we should never feel justified to pray for violence to be visited upon our enemies because our God in the moment of violence being visited upon him prayed for forgiveness. So I think we should always be in the lookout for reconciliation. And, you know, look, there is one instance in the Bible where Jesus overturned the money tables. There's about 99 other instances of Jesus showing mercy and forgiveness to the people no one thought deserved it. So I have just heard so many times people justify their anger by recourse to the money changers. I'm like, yeah, you have one data point that supports that. There are 98 that would push you in the direction of forgiveness and grace and patience. And I need that. So that's not an indictment of anyone else, but it is a fact. In conclusion, Jesus says, vengeance is mine. And he took the vengeance upon himself. So by the waters of Babylon, we went down and wept. But we remembered you, O Zion, as for our harps, we hung them up on the trees in the midst of that land. For those who led us away captive asked us for a song, and our oppressors called for for mirth. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song upon an alien soil? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my left hand forget its skill, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember the day of Jerusalem, O Lord, against the people of Edom, who said, down with it, down with it, even to the ground. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. How about that episode of Our Trying Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast.